faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Isn't that a beautiful hymn? It's such an encouraging one for us. And it's got a rousing tune. I love the tunes that go with these hymns too. It's such a great thing. And we're thankful for Gloria that plays the piano for us. We're thankful for our brother Dave Thompson. We're thankful for Joe. The music in our church, the choirs, it's such a blessing to have music. In scripture, it had a great part, and it still does even today. Shall we just open in a word of prayer? Father, we're here today as hungry people, hungry for your word. And we pray that your word would speak to our hearts and challenge us and convict us and encourage us and comfort us and lift us up. Help us to follow the examples of Scripture, Lord, about the men and women and how they lived in in the Bible, Lord. And help us to follow their godly example, to live according to your word. And I pray that you will hide me behind the cross. We pray that you will be glorified, that your word would go out by the Holy Spirit, Lord. You know the need of every heart. You know all our situations that we're going through, and just pray that you will speak your word to our hearts today, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, in sports and in all of life, nobody wants to be second string. Nobody wants to uh, take a second place to anything. They want to be the leading scorer. They want to be on ESPN highlights. People want to be the, the go-to person in the, in the team. And it's true in business, it's true in politics, wherever it is, everybody wants to be in the spotlight. They want to get the credit. And a lot of times politicians, when they pass these bills through Congress, they want to be the one that puts forth the legislation because that gives credit to them, right? Gives credibility to them. And they want to be known, they want to be recognized. And if you don't recognize them just right, they feel they've been slighted. People think, oh, you've slighted me. He didn't give me the the credit I deserved. I worked so hard on this. She didn't give me what I should have received. But in Scripture, it's it's the opposite. We as Christians, we don't need the limelight. In fact, it's bad for us. We don't need to be acknowledged here on earth. We don't need to be given honor here on earth because our honor, our acknowledgement, our rewards are in heaven. And that's the whole goal for every Christian, is to live a life humbly serving the Lord, going about our business and giving Him praise and thanks, and not looking for the attention, not looking for the limelight, as it were. Today we're going to look at a man in the New Testament, book of Acts, who was a man behind the scenes. And his name is Ananias. And so the title of our message today is Ananias, a man behind the scenes. And so we're going to see in Scripture that there's three people in the New Testament that are named Ananias. One is the high priest. His name was Ananias. The second one is Ananias. He was the husband of Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied and God struck them. And the third Ananias is the one that we're going to look at today who was such a servant, such a humble man, and was willing to take a role behind the scenes that nobody else knew about, and yet God called him to that mission, and he did it for the glory of God. So we're going to turn in our Bibles today to Acts chapter 9 and verses 10 through 19, and we're going to read together this story of Ananias. And he was the one who met up with, the, with Saul of Tarsus after Saul had gotten saved on the road to Damascus. 
And God used him in a big way in the life of Saul, who later became the great Apostle Paul. So reading Acts chapter 9 and beginning at verse 10, it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias! And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many, thing, m- many things about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now turning over to chapter 22, Acts chapter 22 and verse 12, as Paul gives his testimony there in the book of Acts before the leaders... And we see what he is going to be saying about Ananias. We have some further insight into it. Acts chapter 22 and verse 12. Here Paul giving his testimony before the rulers there and Felix and all of those. And it says in verse 12, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And may God bless the reading of his word. And then it says also in verse 14, Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be a witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. Ananias, the man behind the scenes. You know, we have a lot of people that work in the church behind the scenes. You don't see it, you don't know it. But when you come to church and everything is set up and everything's clean and everything's neat and orderly, it didn't just happen. We had people that came in when no one was around and they did their responsibility, they did their mission, they did their work. They don't care for the attention, they don't care for the acknowledgement, but they did it for the Lord. And every person who serves the Lord with a humble attitude, the Lord is going to bless their life tremendously and they're going to be a blessing to others. Just like we sang in that hymn, Make Me a Blessing to Someone Today. The three things we're going to look at today are are three points from his life. Number one, who he was. 
Number two, what he said. And number three, what he did. Simple points and simple outlines of this man who was such a blessing. I like how it starts off in verse 10 of chapter 9 by calling him a certain disciple. Now, it doesn't say he was an elder. It doesn't say he was a deacon. It doesn't say he was a leader in the church. It doesn't say he was famous in that area. It says he was a certain disciple. And I like that. I consider myself a certain disciple, a certain believer. That's all we are. There's not classes in Christianity. Some people in the high class and the middle class and the low class. Christ did away with all those distinctions. And there's just common, ordinary believers. And so that's who Ananias was. He was, he was a saved man. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord. But it says he was a certain disciple there at Damascus. There are those who believe that, the, that at the day of Pentecost, someone probably got saved from Damascus when they were down there in the day of Pentecost and took the gospel back to Damascus and shared the gospel with Ananias and the other people that were there. And they got saved and they started a church all because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the Word of God. And here he was serving the Lord. And we don't know much about his life. We don't know what he did other than this one incident. But we know that when the time was come to serve the Lord and to, to, call, to be called to this mission that he was going to be on, he was ready, he was willing, and he was able to do it. And so the Lord appears to him in a vision and says, Ananias. And notice what he says. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. So the Lord has spoken to him in a vision, and he's going to tell him what he wants him to do. And now it's up to Ananias whether he's going to be obedient to this vision or he's not. And that's the question that we have when the Lord asks us to do something difficult in life. Do we say, yes, Lord, I'll do it? Or do we say, no, Lord, I cannot do it? I can't do that. We can't. We have the choice, don't we? When God asks us to do something, we can either say yes or we can say no. In the Old Testament, we know that Jonah said no, basically, to the Lord when the Lord called him to go to Nineveh, preach the gospel there, and win 120,000 people to Christ there in the, uh, in the Ninevites. They were the enemies of Israel. He basically said, no, I'm not going to do it. He got on a ship. And he headed off in the wrong direction. And we all know the story how the Lord brought him back. He was swallowed up by the great fish, the great belly of the whale or the great fish, and then spit him out right where he should have been in the first place. And he finally did his mission. But he wasn't even happy then. But I like to think of Ananias as like the anti-Jonah. Because here, he's going to do a mission. He didn't like it either. Do you think he's going to want to go to talk to Saul of Tarsus, who was a murderer of Christians? who had come to Damascus to actually arrest Christians, take them into custody, take them back to Jerusalem, imprison them, and even kill them? I think I'd be a little nervous too, wouldn't you, if God asked you to go to meet somebody like that who has come with that specific purpose and mission, but he was willing to do God's will above his own will even against his own will, because he knew that God's will was the best. Notice the Lord says to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. 
And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. As I was meditating on this yesterday, I was thinking, now, wait a minute. If Ananias had not re uh, accepted the mission, how could there be a man named Ananias going and talking to Saul? The Lord had confidence that Ananias was going to be obedient. That's why God picked him. That's why God chose him to do this mission, because he knew he was faithful. He knew he would do it, and he would do it faithfully. And the Lord knows our hearts. And many times he chooses us to do things for him. And he sees inside our hearts a desire to please the Lord and to do his will. And he puts us to the test and see, are we really going to do it? And you can see in verse 13 his concerns because he doesn't just think everything is great and just say, okay, Lord, sure. He brings up his concerns. It says in verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Now, there's nothing wrong with questioning when God asks us to do something as long as we don't not do it. Not, as, not a questioning spirit like, I'm questioning, I'm not going to do it, I don't want to do it. It's questioning. And he had those natural concerns because he was not only concerned for his own safety, but also for all the Christians in Damascus. Here's a man coming to arrest us and kill us, and now you're telling me, Lord, to go, that he is, he's been saved and, and I'm going to, supposed to go and talk to this man? But the Lord reassures him exactly what happened because he says to him in verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, and I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias said, in effect, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. If Adel was here, he, liked, he likes that expression, and it's so true, yes, Lord. When you're in the army, you can't say no, can you? When they say, son, it's time to get up, the trumpet sounds, the bugle goes off, you can't say, I want to sleep a little more. Your guys get up too early here. And then when it's time to go to the chow hall, I don't like this food. I'm not going to eat this food. And, and, and then when it's time to line up, I, I don't like this. And then when your uniform, you know, it has to be, your shoes have to be polished and the uniform has to be straight and wrinkle-free and I don't like this. This is too, you're going to end up in the brig. You're going to end up kicked out of the army if you carry on with this attitude. Well, we serve a greater master than the U.S. Army. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us, and he wants us to follow in with his plan and do his will, whatever he asks us to do. And sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes it doesn't make sense, and sometimes it's hard to understand. But when God asks us to do it and we do it for him, he will bless us tremendously. And I like how it's said, and we read it in Acts chapter 22, verse 12, that Ananias was a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. How would you like to be described like that? Now you can see why God picked him. You can see why he was the chosen to go and serve in this mission with Saul, because he was a devout man. And the word in the Greek means cautious. It means cautious. It's a Greek word, euliblis, which means cautious. And in the context of it is, 
We want to live cautious lives. In other words, we want the words that we say and the things that we do to be a testimony for the Lord, to bring people to Christ, to draw them to Christ. And we don't want to say things or do things that are going to push people away from Christ. We want to draw them to Christ. And that's what Ananias did. He was a devout man. And three times in the New Testament, besides this one, we read the word, this word devout, same word in the Greek is used. It speaks of Simeon. Remember him in the book of, in the Gospel of Luke and how he was waiting for the Messiah. It says he was a devout man. And also the men in Jerusalem at that time, they're called devout men. And also the men who carried the body of Stephen to his burial, they were described as devout men. God wants us to be good testimonies. He wants people to see Christ in our lives. And I'm reminded in 3 John about the story of the man named Demetrius. There's two people in the book of 3 John. One is bad, and his name is Diotrephes, and the other is good, and his name is Demetrius. Diotrephes was a tyrant there in that church. He did not want to receive John or any of the other missionaries or brothers and sisters that came. He wanted all the power to be with himself. He wasn't following Christ's example at all. And then on the other hand, John uses Demetrius as an example. And it says of Demetrius in verse 12 of 3 John, it says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness. And you know that our witness is true. His name means Jehovah is gracious. And that's the kind of life Ananias lived. Jehovah is gracious. He lived up to his name. Now, I can't say that about the first Ananias, who was the high priest. Nope, can't say that about him. I can't even say it about Ananias, who was married to Sapphira. He didn't live up to his name, but this Ananias did. This Ananias followed the Lord and obeyed him in a godly way and was a godly man. So that's who he was. We don't know a lot about him, but what we do know makes us want to meet him, doesn't it? When we get to heaven, we'll get a chance to meet Ananias, sit down and talk with him. How was it when the Lord asked you to go and speak to a man who is bent on destroying the church? How, did, how was it? How did this work? And we get a chance to talk to many of the saints. We're going to get to see them all, talk to them all. It'll be great when we get to heaven. People talk about having a bucket list, you know. Before I die, I want to see the Caribbean. I want to see Buckingham Palace. I want to see this. I want to see that. They have a list. I don't have a bucket list of who I want to see on earth or where I want to go on earth, but I got a, a great bucket list of who I want to meet in heaven. And we're going to meet Abraham, and we're going to meet Moses, and we're going to meet Joshua, and we're going to meet Paul and John and all of them. And it's going to be great. But the greatest one we're going to see is our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because he's the one we want to see first. And we want to be with him forever and ever. And I really like the fact that he had this willing spirit where he says, Here I am, Lord. And in that really references, like we have behind here, Jesus is Lord. When he says, Here I am, Lord, he says, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? Now, even after hearing what the Lord wanted him to do, and he expressed his concerns, he still did it. According to verse 17, it says, He went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, that is on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, 
has sent me and that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It struck me yesterday when I was preparing the Word of God and studying it. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Here's this man he's heard about a lot. The repu his reputation had preceded him because he knew that in Jerusalem he had imprisoned the saints, he had done bad things to them, killed them and all kinds of things. In fact, Saul of Tarsus was there when Stephen was, was martyred. When they were stoning Stephen, it says they laid their coats down at Saul's feet. And then he began to wreak havoc on the church starting in chapter 8. And here he was ready and he was coming to, Jeru to Damascus with a party of people and they were all there to, to do that mission. He had letters from the high priest. He had all their authority to come and do that. And the Lord stopped it right in his tracks, knocked him off that high horse he was riding. It was a bright light from heaven and the Lord spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And the Lord saved his soul that day on the road to Damascus and blinded him. He was blind. He couldn't see. And that's why he sent him into the city and told him that a man named Ananias is going to come and lay his hands on your eyes and you're going to get your sight. But I love his obedient spirit. When it says, arise, he arose in obedience. Go to a street called Straight. You know, sometimes in life when God wants us to go straight, we take a crooked turn, don't we? We take a detour. We go off to the right or we go off to the left. Go to that street called straight. God's will is straight. It's not crooked. It's not narrow. You know, over in San Francisco, we have a street called Lombard Street. And I don't know if any of you have seen it, but they call it the crookedest street in the, in the world. It's on Lombard Street. The citizens of that street don't like it because all the tourists come to that street. They park there and all kinds of things. But it is a tourist attraction. But it's a very winding street. And I think sometimes in our lives when we get off track, take a very winding path. We finally get back to where God wants us to go, but we have to go through hardship and experience. If we don't go in through God's will, he has to bring us back and it becomes a winding street but he wants us to go to the street called straight and that's where he sent Ananias to go and he did it and the Lord had confidence in him that he would do it and it was natural for him to be concerned about all these things that he'd heard about but he knew that if God was sending him on this mission that he was sending him for a very real purpose and it was going to be a blessing to him but you know all of us have to choose whether we're going to do God's will or not, and we're going to do it without questioning or without doubting. And that's what he had to do as well. Henrietta Mears once said, will is the whole man active. I cannot give up my will. I must exercise it. I must will to obey. When God gives a command or a vision like of truth, like he did to Ananias, it's never a question of what he will do, but what will we do? To be successful in God's work, is to fall in line with his will and to do it his way. That is pleasing to him, and that is success. If you can imagine with me this morning, if Ananias had been like Jonah, what would have happened? He would have said, you know, I've got to go to another town. Let's use Corinth. I've got to go to Corinth, Lord. I'm sorry. He gets on that horse or whatever he's riding or whatever, he heads to Corinth. God wants him in Damascus to do the mission, but let's say he got on the, and the Lord would have to bring him back like he did Jonah. Or he would raise up somebody else to do the mission. 
But God had confidence that he would do it, and he did. He obeyed the vision for the Lord. And he knew from hearing what God had said in verses 15 and 16 that Saul was going to be something special for God. He was going to go out and he was going to preach, and not just to people, but he was going to go to Jews and Gentiles and kings and those in authority. He was going to be before many people, including the Jews, and God was going to show him how many things he was going to have to suffer. So Ananias knew that his mission was to be the man behind the scenes and to go. And he went and he did God's will. I like the fact that John the Baptist had this same humble spirit when the Lord uh, came on the scene. And it says in John chapter 3, verses 29 and 30, it says, where John the Baptist says this, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And you know, as you go through your Christian life, you grow and you mature. You start off as a young believer. You're all excited and everything. And you realize as trials come, as difficulties come, as you grow and experience these things, you start to realize that you can't do it on your own. You need the Lord's help. And when the Lord gives you a mission to go on, He gives you the enablement to do it. He gives you the resources. He gives you everything. And He wants us to have that humble attitude like Ananias had and like John the Baptist had. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I'm sure that Ananias felt that way. And can you imagine as he went on in his life and after Paul became famous and a great apostle and missionary and great man of God, he could have probably said, you know what? He could have told his family, his sons or his daughters, his, his friends and everything. You know what? When he got saved, I was the first one there. I, I helped him. I, I gave him food. I baptized him. I laid my hands on him so that he... No. You would never, ever hear that out of Ananias' mouth. He was a humble brother. I bet that he never told anybody about it. He took that humble approach. And that's the way it should be, that he, the Lord, may increase in my life and that me, Dean, may decrease. And that's the goal. And as we do that, we start to realize how important it is to trust the Lord for everything. And that is what it was. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for bragging in the Christian life. Like the hymn writer, we said, boasting excluded, pride I abase, I'm only a sinner, saved by grace. And then secondly, we see what he did, or third, we, we see what he did also here in this passage, and we see that when he did that, and he laid his hands on Saul, and he received the Holy Spirit, and he provided food for him as well, and Ananias was a chosen vessel that God chose him. And I would like to think, when he said those words, Brother Saul, I'd like to say, I think he put a, his arms around him and hugged him. He didn't know him. He didn't know him, but here's this man who was a persecutor of Christians, and now he's saved, and Ananias knows he's a brother in the Lord, and he calls him Brother Saul. He doesn't call him Saul. He calls him Brother Saul. And that's what's encouraging to me. If you meet Christians, doesn't matter if they go to a different church or they live in a different county or a different country even. When we're one in Christ, we speak the same language, the language of Christ's love. 
And sometimes we may not understand what the language of those Christians are. They speak a different uh, tongue. But one thing about it is you can, you can feel the love, the love of Christ. We speak the same language. And that's why you have people that come here from other places that like Rajiv and different countries and everything. They're preaching the same message because they're saved. And that's the wonderful thing about it. And we can thank God for that. And he did his mission very, very well. He was a chosen vessel for the chosen vessel because it says Saul was the chosen vessel, but Ananias was the chosen vessel to help the chosen vessel. And he took a, a subservient role. He took a support role, and he did his mission well. And praise God for that. And then we also see here how he didn't seek any glory for himself at all, like we mentioned. And in, in, in the scriptures, it says in, in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 6, and Ed will put it up, Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it tells us about the attitude we should have in our lives. It says this, where the Lord Jesus is speaking, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your charitable deed may be in secret, and that your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Isn't that amazing how the Lord Jesus said that? And he lived that way himself on earth, the Lord Jesus. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, to make that understandable to our way of thinking today is do it for the Lord secretly, anonymously, and give all the glory to the Lord. How many times have you heard stories where somebody opens up their envelope in, in their mailbox and they find somebody has sent them something anonymously and you never find out who that person was that gave that to you, but it came at just the right time. And, and when you do it anonymously for the Lord, it makes a huge difference. We don't have to get the credit on earth, do we? Because we know the Lord sees everything we do and he's going to reward us openly. And in this passage of Scripture, it talks about praying in secret. It talks about giving in secret. It talks about fasting in secret so that others can see Christ and not see us. When we, peop when we show ourselves to others and testify to them, we don't want them to see us and think, oh, what a great guy Dean is, what a great guy uh, Mike is, what a great lady Sandy is. No, it's not about us. We don't want any of that. Don't give me that attention. Give it to the Lord. It's not me. I'm not a great person. Christ is a great Savior, and that's the difference. And so we've learned a few things about Ananias today that can benefit, it, benefit us in our life. We can see who he was. He was a devout man of God. He was a certain disciple, humble, prepared, available, and willing to serve the Lord. And when the call came, he answered it. And even though it didn't sound easy, and it wasn't, to go to a man who had such a reputation as Saul, he did it, and he did it willingly. And the Lord confirmed the words of Christ to Saul through Ananias. And you can imagine Saul's there, he's blinded, he can't see a thing, and then Ananias comes, lays his hands on him, and he can see all of a sudden. I believe that when we get to heaven, we will find out how much Paul appreciated this man, Ananias. He already mentioned it, him, his name and his testimony. He just didn't go through his testimony and forget him. He remembered Ananias, and I believe was blessed by his life. And we can be a blessing to others, too. And when we are, they'll never forget it. 
So we saw who he was, we saw what he said, and we saw what he did. And when he did it for the Lord, it was all the glory to the Lord. Before we close in prayer, I want to read a song that was written in the year of 1979. It was written by a young man on December 1st of 1979. And I'm going to read you this song. It's based on that passage in Matthew chapter 6. And it really could be the song of Ananias, if you really think about it. Serve the Lord in secret, not letting others see, so that Christ may be exalted and receive all the glory. Do generous acts in secret, not seeking a reward, knowing your Father who sees in secret will these kindnesses record. Give to the Lord in secret from all your boundless store that the gospel may go forward from here to the furthest shore. Render joyfully in secret, not under force or stress, for the Lord loves cheerful givers, whether they give him more or less. Enter your room in secret, and always shut the door. Then your gracious Lord will hear you and honor you all the more. Pray to the Lord in secret, so that he alone will know that when you see his answers, your face will be all aglow. And then this one could really be true of Ananias. And always live in secret, not seeking to be known, content to be a servant, that through you Christ is shown. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this man, Ananias, and the lessons we learn. We thank you for his willingness to go to Saul, lay his hands on him, baptize him, give him food to eat, introduce him to the Christians there at Damascus, so that he could be well-received and go on to be the great Apostle Paul. We thank you, Lord, that many times you give us little things to do, you give us bigger things to do, whatever it is. Help us to be faithful in the little things and help us also to be faithful in the bigger things. And when there are things we don't understand, things that don't make sense to us, if you tell us to do it, Lord, help us to say, yes, Lord. Help us to say, I'll do it, Lord. Help us to leave it in your hands. And Lord, the earthly rewards that we get in life are nothing compared to the rewards that we will receive at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll receive them in glory and help us to be those who serve anonymously and secretly and help us to give you all the glory every day. So we thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray that your word will be written on the tablets of our hearts this week. Help us to meditate on it. Help us to be like Ananias and to live according to you your word. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.